Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Guerra. Chris, I do not know what to do with my hands because Kansas won a game on the road and the streak is dead. It's buried. It's gone. The streak is over. Yeah, it's like a basketball podcast. We're talking about Kansas and Kentucky off the top. This is not a typical mid-September podcast for us. This is more like a mid-March podcast. We will get to all that stuff later. Of course, we're going to talk Georgia, South Carolina, the demolition that the dogs put on the Gamecocks at Williams-Brice. Of course, we're going to talk about the Tua Jalen stuff that is ongoing. A&M's huge effort against Clemson. Uh, We are going to talk about some stuff around college football. Before we do all of that, got to talk to you guys real quick about our friends over at Ticket City. SDS is excited to partner again with Ticket City for all of their ticket needs. Our relationship with them goes way back several years as they are still a leader in the ticket space, especially for college football fans. Getting tickets for college football games could not be easier when using Ticket City, and they have the best prices. All you got to do is use promo code CMBF10 to get 10% off. That's CMBF10 to get 10% off all of your tickets now. Whether it's for this Saturday or any time this college football season, get your tickets now on Ticket City. We are going to be going to Alabama, Ole Miss, this Saturday in Oxford. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. We are going to talk some Bama Ole Miss stuff, but holy cow, the day has come. The oldest streak in college football, modern college football, is over. Kentucky is a winner. Florida could not hang with the Wildcats. I can't even believe I'm saying those words. <laughs> That's such a ridiculous sentence. I mean, it's you just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. It was like, what are they going to do? How are they going to screw this it's up? It's going to happen, right? When is date Mike going to come out? Like well, you're, it, And I know we use that, that reference probably too much, but I'm not going to apologize for it. But it's like I put on the SDS Twitter yesterday, and I just like it's the most perfect meme for this or gift for this. And it's like they were going in the fourth quarter with a double-digit lead, and I had to put up the, the office uh, gif where he's like, everybody, pay, stay calm. Stay effing calm. <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, like, there, there was one of, one of our like, fans and followers uh, always, um, always messaged me on Facebook after the Facebook Lives. I'm, I'm going to give him a shout out here. Matthew Gordon. He'd been telling me all offseason that Florida was going to lose to Kentucky and that Kentucky was going to go 10-2. and two. I don't know if both of those are going to ring true. But shout out to him because he knew it the shout whole time. Out. Yes, it was. He was like, he said to me on Friday. He he sent me a message and he was like, "We're gonna win thirty-one to seventeen. Benny Snell's gonna run all over that defense. We're good to go." And, and he, I was like, "Yeah, okay, man. Have a good night." <laughs> right. Like, then that's exactly what happened. Okay, so little little peek behind the, behind the onion here. Uh, we definitely mocked that prediction that he had that Kentucky was what gonna go eleven and you one. You really did. <laughs> I mean, we 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 like. Secretly, we're like, okay, this is this is ridiculous. Kentucky is sitting there at two and zero with this streak over. Good for Mark Stoops because I think you know he was asked about the streak after the game, and obviously you know he hasn't been there for. He's been there for a fraction of the streak. How long has he been there? He's been there for six years now, right? This is okay. the sixth season, tied for That's the second right, longest yeah. tenured coach in the SEC with Gus Malzahn, which is a weird thought in itself. Yeah, but here's some context on how long this streak was. Last time Kentucky beat Florida, Top Gun. Number one movie in America. Here's another thing to put this all in perspective. And as SEC fans were paying attention to this weekend, the last time Florida beat Kentucky before this weekend, Bill Snyder was 47. (laughs) So The ageless wonder. If you would have said 74, I would have still believed you. Yeah, Bill Snyder was a ripe 47. 
Uh, oh the street- I bet he looked the exact same. <laughs> I bet that's exactly what he looked like when he was 47. Like, he was, he came out of the womb, Benjamin Button style, with, like, gray hair, and was just like, no, this is just me. I love molasses, and I love reading the paper. Yeah, he was like, never well, seven, young. dude. Yeah, there's, there's no way. It, it's pretty amazing, though, to see that the way this all unfolded, and if you're a Florida fan, you, you, it was kind of a weird vibe in the crowd because there was this feeling of, okay, they're going to be fine. They're going to have two touchdown right. drives in a row. It's going to be okay. And then Felipe Franks marches them down the field, and they get the wide-open touchdown catch, and then they don't convert the two-point conversion. And that was the first sign where because jo- Josh Allen had the pass breakup where you're like, okay, maybe this thing it actually isn't going to happen. And then the, the fumble and Kentucky return. Kentucky missed the field goal. I oh, mean, right. Florida missed the field goal, and you're like, that definitely went in, right? Like, that definitely went in, right? And then that became just one of those typical things of fans that, like, if you are if you bleed orange and blue, it definitely went in. If you bleed blue and white, you're right. like, no, no, it didn't. Right, right. I, I thought it went in. I don't care either way. But, like, it was just crazy. It was one of those things you're like, what is, what is happening? All these things are starting to happen, and you just kept wondering, like, now what are they going to do to overcome that? But, no, <laughs> it didn't happen. Shout out to our guy, Uncle Terry Wilson. Um, big time, big time performance, especially after he was not good last week. No. Came back and went in his first road start and played like a guy who was ready to roll. His arm, I know we've talked about this a lot, and whether or not Kentucky is going to be able to find somebody to take some pressure off Benny Snell, he made some big time throws in that game. And that was a guy who really looked confident, despite the fact that he just was not that good last week. And that's a difference maker for Kentucky. Last week, I saw him pull into his driveway at the cul-de-sac, and he was in his Subaru Outback, which is, I mean, it's a, it's a cross. It's, a, you know, it's off-terrain, too. But, like, Subaru Outback, and he got out wearing his Tiva sandals, and I asked him if he needed help with his groceries. He's like, no, I'm good. And, you know, my son, one of the five kids that I have, his ball went across the street, and I saw him pick up a sack full of groceries and canned goods and just throw back very nonchalantly a Nerf football and damn if it didn't go 111 yards. Like, I had no idea that Terry Wilson had that kind of arm strength. But, man, hat, hat, congrats, neighbor. There are people Yard of the month. There are people listening to this that are probably like, what in the world yeah. is he talking your first, about? Your first-time Kentucky listeners are like, what in God's name is he? So the best thing about this, about a win like this and how much it means uh, for, for the program at Kentucky and what it means across, well, just for Florida fans in general, is you see this back and forth, and we saw the the pregame. Chauncey Gardner Johnson had the it's going to be thirty two. It's going to be at thirty two, guaranteed. It basically right. it got cold taked really, really hard. Not the best look. We're going to talk about that too. Yeah. So um, guaranteeing a victory against Kentucky seemed like the easiest thing in the book to do, but now <laughs> nobody is ever going to do it again because. Yikes, that's a tough one to live down. So there are a lot of things uh, after you this. You'll poke the bear. <laughs> there are a lot of things after this game that that came out that I thought were really relevant too. And uh, in the post-game interview, you had a – Benny Snell was jacked up. I mean, he even said yeah. – the first thing he said was, like, I had so much adrenaline going through me right now. And then he, like, calls out Tim Tebow because Tebow obviously, you know, is picking the Gators because right. he's a human being. And that's yeah, what everybody that, yeah, did. That's the biggest part. Um, thank goodness uh, Benny Snell did not listen – well – he listened to our podcast, but calling out us isn't going to sound as good on national yeah. television. So, yeah. um, let me tell you something, Chris Marler, <laughs> sitting over there at your girlfriend's apartment. That's my fiance, Benny. Whatever, dude. <laughs> uh, but then we had uh, so Adarius uh, 
Zabri Lemons. Is that how you? Yeah, that's probably exactly how you say it. We are not pronunciation guys. He. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to make for brunch. Florida player tweets that he's transferring like five minutes after the loss, which really, really weird timing. And then, oh, by the way, Marco Wilson, um, his dad confirms that uh, that his son is out with season-ending knee surgery after he tore a ligament. Like, what? The announcing that you're transferring right afterwards, that was... I hope that's not a new thing in college football because I know I'm 32 and I run strictly on emotion when I make my decisions, not any kind of logic or measure or reason. As I told you before, that's why we have you on the podcast. Right, exactly. <laughs> I just I just run on caffeine and emotions. And I, yeah, this kid, it's even worse when you're like 20 and you just lose and he's like, nope, transferring. Like, oh, okay. who are you? It's like when Ohio State lost that first game to Michigan State in 2015, and immediately after the game, like five minutes after the game, Cardell Jones, it was like he had a draft saved in his Instagram where he posted right. that he was leaving <laughs> and that he was going to the NFL after the season. And then Post Zeke, later. And then Zeke, five minutes later, like calls out, calls out the entire coaching staff, and that is, like, I, I'm not staying around for another year of this, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, not obviously different things at stake with this that right, we're talking right. about. With uh, Florida, Kentucky, but yeah, this was you're, well. You're talking about a 12 and 0 season. <laughs> this, but I mean, there were Florida fans who thought that their team was definitely going to be top 15, top 20. And I saved my rant last week for Florida not being deserving of a top 25 spot because Florida has now gone uh, over a year without beating. Or is it exactly a year? Maybe it's September 2017 was last time Florida beat a Power Five team. So let's That's just kind of keep that all in was perspective. Was it Kentucky? No, it was Vandy. So, oh. yeah, we don't have to talk that- about that though. No, um, Vandy, Vandy might beat him. This was a this was a pump the brakes moment for Florida. For Florida fans that thought this rebuild was just going to be easy, you were going to snap your fingers and win eight games. Not so fast. And now my question is the same question that I had throughout the entire offseason: Is Kyle Trask better suited to run this offense than Felipe I, Franks? Because Felipe Franks did not look good. He didn't want to throw the ball well. He didn't want to dance with Dan Mullen. Like, at what point do you take him out of the damn lineup? I, I like Kyle Trask. At least at some point last night, you give him a chance. It was the whole thing just looked disjointed. The whole offense, like, it, and I knew that they they were a little bit. The the week before, you're playing Charleston Southern, so those numbers are gonna be a little bit inflated. Fifty three to six win, that's great. Kentucky's this is gonna sound weird, but Kentucky's a different animal. And anytime you give up two hundred and twenty two yards rushing. I don't know if you're going to be able to stop most teams in the SEC, and you definitely weren't able to stop Benny Snell. But that being said, if your defense isn't there, if your defense isn't equipped and ready to, to stop the run, which is what most SEC teams do, you can't have a quarterback in there that's, if you're playing from behind, that isn't equipped to keep up with that. Yeah, that's the thing is he can't sustain drives, and he can't. Right. He's not. A, he's not an accurate passer. That that hasn't changed. Right. And what what we saw in the opener is he's not making these throws where he's fitting it through these tight windows. Dan Mullen is scheming to get these guys wide open. And then if you right. look at even what Felipe Franks did last night, it was guys are wide open when he's hitting them. That touchdown where he had the unsportsmanlike penalty afterwards. That it's was like ridiculous, dude. You made a wide open throw because of a coverage breakdown. It was. I mean, goodness gracious, you better make that throw if you're a power five quarterback. Any anybody. On that Florida sideline, you know, that's a quarterback could have made that throw. So right. this isn't a Felipe Franks bash session. I don't want to get into any of that. No, that's like, the last 30 minutes of the pod. Make sure you stay tuned. <laughs> but I think, I'm going to go off. But I think Florida fans were getting a little bit ahead of themselves, and this was just a reminder that while you know, you, while you, you thought that this was going to be a quick turnaround, you still got a ways to go. And last podcast that we had, our good friend, our best friend, Luke Del Rio, was saying that he came into <laughs> this live. situation in 2017 
saying, you know what? The talent's just not there. We're just not that good. And all, all, all I heard offseason was how much talent Florida has and how Florida's just ready to take this next step, just needed the right coach in there. And this right. was just a reminder of it's a little bit harder than that. I thought, and I thought I was one of them saying that like there was that much talent. You had 20 returning starters, and I brought that up to you because, as we know, Uncle Chris can talk himself into basically anything. And there was some night that I had researched Florida for a long time, yep. and you, I just went down a rabbit hole of information of like, oh my God, Florida's going to be the best team in the country. And then you were like, yeah, they returned 20 starters, but they're not any good. <laughs> like, they, won, they won four games. Let's right. Yeah. And so you know, there's it says something, and I don't care how this sounds because I I know that. just recruiting stars don't really always mean everything, but it says something when C.C. Jefferson, who was a five-star and one of the three five-stars you have on your entire roster, isn't starting. He was suspended. They had a rush. He was suspended for the game. He was out for the first game. Yeah, so I'm glad I brought that up. So they were were out with uh, uh, C.C. Jefferson was out. David Reese was also out. So that, Florida fans might look at that and say, oh, well, we didn't have our full team, but yeah. The offensive thing, the offensive numbers were still a glaring. Let's make sure weakness. we cut that part where Uncle Chris <laughs> we'll, didn't know what he was we'll talking just about. Pretend. Uh, I think those are. I think he has academic issues, if I'm not mistaken. They That's what I thought. Yep, there we go. You knew that. You were just trying to keep yeah. me honest. I appreciate that. It's Sunday. You know, it's a lazy Sunday. Whatever. No such thing as that. There's um, no such thing as a lazy Sunday. I yeah, a little peel behind the onion. I had to learn that today. Seriously, it's been a fun day actually. And poor Kentucky fans who are super super hungover right now because they spent all night. Not only did they spend all night knocking down every goalpost they could find, but cutting down nets. Yeah, so, and flipping a car. Yeah, I mean, that's what they do. Which seemed like the, whoever's car it was, I feel like might have actually been there and was just like, that's cool, dude. No, it's fine. Whatever. That's a, Chevro- that's a Chevrolet Lumina. I don't need that thing. Never know when it's going to happen again. Just get it over with. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Speaking of teams that got a little bit too ahead of themselves, or at least their fans might have, South Carolina, Georgia was a blood Ooh, bath. That that's was, the best way to put it. That was complete and total demolition. And we talked about this last week about, we thought Georgia was on a different level still. We didn't think that South Carolina was gonna be able to go toe to toe for 60 minutes. We thought there were certain things that they could do to hang around maybe, but to think that they were on the same level to be able to beat a team as skilled as Georgia, as talented up front of the line of scrimmage, we didn't think that that was gonna happen. And sure enough, by God, it did not. And and so here's here's what I'm gonna say, I'm, and I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go out and be a little bit feisty with this, and I'm not trying to make I'm not trying to make any Carolina fans mad, and I'm not trying to come off as a homer. And I've said this to you before, and you give me a look like, oh, that that definitely means too much. <laughs> but but I'm just gonna say this. I had this conversation with a friend of mine this morning. He was a, he was a Georgia fan, and he said, I now I understand why uh, Bama fans are so cocky all the time. Yup. Because you go into a game, you lose a five star left tackle, you replace him with another five star left tackle. Perfect. Somehow example. the offense improves. Yep. And, and I said this, and the first time I ever said this, I said this about Manti Teo on Notre Dame, about Alabama. And it's going to be a little bit of a homer comment, but I mean it. And I said it, I said it on Twitter for the Louisville game because they were talking all that trash. You can talk as much trash as you want about teams like Alabama, like Georgia, about how you're going to beat them and you're going to go out and do this and you have a mismatch at your best player versus their best player and blah, blah, blah. But what ends up happening on Saturday, because you can do all that crap in the offseason and Monday through Friday, but on Saturday – at around 8 o'clock, or this weekend is at 3.30, they're going to tee up that football, and you have to buckle that chin strap, and you got to go out there and play Alabama or play Georgia and then actually put your money where your mouth is, and it doesn't work out well for most people. i got goosebumps in my own I'm ready speech. to run through a wall <laughs> I mean, right now. I'm, I'm just saying, cow. like, that's that's a, that's I, I know it seems a little bit like a homer and stuff like that, and, it's, and Bama is... Bama is what they are, but that's how I, that's exactly how I feel about it in terms of, and that's the kind of program I think Georgia has turned the corner and become, and 
on Saturday at 3.30, yeah, you're going to have to tee it up and you're going to actually have to play football against that team. And this is the kind of stuff that happens. Let's circle back to that example you brought up because I thought that was a great point. It was something that I referenced in my post-game column, just showing the disparity between Georgia and everyone else in the division. Right. Andrew Thomas goes out, starting left tackle, Georgia's best offensive lineman, a guy I thought should have been preseason All-American. One of the t- he's going to be a top right. top draft pick eventually no when he's able to come out. No one talks about him for some reason. <laughs> What's that? No one, like hardly anyone talks about him. Oh, I know. It's, I think he's incredible. incredibly underrated. Started every game for them as a freshman last year. Right. Um, and so he goes out with 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 an injury, and it's twenty to ten. And you're thinking to yourself, oh man, Georgia just lost its best offensive lineman. You know what? Are, what are they going to be able to do to move the ball down the field? Like this is going right. to be really tough. All you got to do is turn to the bench and say, "Oh, Cade Mays, five-star recruit, uh, true freshman. Just come on in. Let's see. Let's see how this works." Right. And dominates. Three yeah. touchdowns later, Kirby Smart brings him to the sideline and is smiling ear to ear, talking about how great of a job Cade Mays did filling in for Andrew Thomas. And that's just Georgia. That's what Georgia it, is at right and, now, and that's why we make such a big is, deal about this. Right. And 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 this is and further going into that, when you talk about the three straight touchdowns after he went in, the offense got better. I don't know how many times I've seen. A Bama game where they're up seven or they're up ten. They're not killing everyone in the first half, but you know, especially early on in Saban's years. But then as it wears on, it's like something's about to break this thing open. Mm-hmm. And at some point in the second half, it's going to be one of the most unwatchable games for anyone not a Bama fan because they're going to just absolutely suffocate you on defense and they're going to do enough on offense to win. And what changed the game after halftime? You go up 20 to 10. And when you have a defense like Georgia's, and anytime you get a two-score lead, you're in trouble. Like, you are in trouble as the other team. Because you get one-dimensional, and teams like that right. eat up one-dimensional Well, you, you're definitely having, like, even if you score a touchdown now, you're still not within reach of, of winning the game. So, two-score two lead, you're in trouble. They go up 20-10, to 10, go into halftime. That, that field goal that, kick at the end of the first half by our boy Rodrigo, I mean, different context, of, of course, yeah. but like the kick that he made going into half at the Rose Bowl, I thought that was yeah. a huge play for Georgia to be able to get that, to, to yeah. go ahead, to just to get that, that little bit of distance to make right. sure that this wasn't you know, a one-score game or you know, thinking that, that they could believe and that they could hang around right. for 60 minutes. And it was, it was so peak, everything we're talking about, because it was a 44-yard field goal, which isn't easy. Trust me, as a Bama fan, none of them are easy. <laughs> but, but when you hit a 44-yard field goal, I swear to God that thing could have been good from 64. He just put it right between the uprights. But you have you have three straight drives where you score. And you know what Carolina did on their three straight drives? Three and out. Three and out. Three and out. Three and out. It's the exact it's the worst possible scenario for you. And that's what that's what teams like Georgia will start doing. I thought the DeAndre Baker storyline was a fun one to watch. We knew <laughs> that there was going to be some big moment in that game just because we're talking about two preseason, All- preseason All-Americans. Right. Debo Samuel, of course, had the comments saying he's asked about Ooh. DeAndre Baker and he's like, who? Uh, I haven't watched much film of him, and within the first you know minute of the game or whatever it was, DeAndre Baker had what should have been a pick six, right. an interception where he dropped the ball before he got to the goal line. We don't need. I could go for don't even need it. Days yeah. about that, but anyways, basically was a oh yeah, you should probably know who I am now. And so after the game, of course, uh, I, I can't remember there was a, a reporter who captured uh, DeAndre Baker on the field, yeah. and he say they know my name now. They've heard of me now. And right. Yeah. That that's yeah, just an DeAndre example. DeAndre Walker, of, my man. DeAndre Walker posted that on his Instagram, and it was hilarious. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, that's that that's smart, and you know, not smart on Debo Samuel's part. I, I know, I know Debo Samuel is incredibly talented. He can walk the walk. We talked about that last last week about how he's kind of a guy who's allowed to say things like that because he's right. a preseason All American. But still, this is this was not a team that you really wanted to poke the bear, and no. it felt like that's kind of what South Carolina did. Cause that Georgia team was ready to go from the jump. 
Right. And I said on Saturday morning, I was talking about the game, and I was like, I'm not trying to, you know, I've said it a bazillion times. My sister goes there. My family lives there. I, I love South Carolina. I love the city of Columbia. Told you it was the hottest place on earth. Whew, man, it looks hot. <laughs> they had, they, I didn't even realize they had a Larry Munson quote from it. Uh, our, our buddy Tony Barnhart quoted it about it being the hottest place on earth as well. But anyway, I'm, I have pulled for South Carolina, and you wanted to do well, and, and you love like the, the trajectory, I guess, of where the program is headed. But, yeah, I mean, they were not ready for what they were going to be facing at any point. I said, you know, we brought it up last week on here, but they were not going to have 263 yards rushing against Georgia. They had less than 60. It was a disparity and that was way too much to overcome. Huge. And, and, and I brought up even then on, on the Facebook Live Saturday morning, I was like, they're going to do something crazy. You know what? I'll bet you, I will bet you D, uh, that Debo Samuel throws a pass. <laughs> That's and what that happened. that was the only offense they had yeah. for three quarters. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that uh, Brian McClendon came out and threw the ball all over the place. And they had 30, Jake Bentley had 31 first half passes without a right. touchdown pass. I think he didn't throw his... He didn't throw his first touchdown pass until his 47th pass of the game or right. something. Like that's Fourth that's quarter. that's yeah, that's what we're talking great about. Ball. <laughs> but at the same time, that's it was a really pretty ball. That's going to be on his draft film one day. Yeah. But at the same time, like that's what we're talking about with with South Carolina. Is it's just so difficult when you can't run the ball. And Brian McClendon knew that they weren't going to win that battle at the line of scrimmage, and that's why they came out throwing the ball all right. over the place. But South Carolina ultimately doesn't get the offense that it needs. Georgia, on the other hand, that was a veteran performance from Jake Fromm. Got off to a bad start, made that ill-advised throw where it looked like he thought his guy was going to go deep, and he ended up staying in. He was facing right. some pressure. Bad interception, but ends up finishing his day going 9 of 9. Justin Fields doesn't come into the game until Georgia is up 41 to 10, I think. And yeah. that's, 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 that goes along with what Kirby said. You know, there were some people, um, one in particular that I won't say his name, um, oh, I know who you're talking about. Loves to stay woke. Uh, he he threw out on on his Twitter that they should bring in Justin Fields in the first quarter or first Gosh. half. <laughs> that's that's the difference, though. That is the difference right there. Is Jake Fromm is a guy who's going to come back and he's going to win you that game if your offense is in the mud and he's struggling. He right. keeps his composure so well, and that's what we've seen from him. You can Not go a back game to manager. that. Yeah, he's not a game manager by any stretch of the imagination. Anyone that still thinks that is, you know, yeah. just needs to turn on the film and watch the kid actually play. So that established itself. Justin Fields is, is any, anybody saying that he's going to be, you know, a, a key part of this offense and that George is going to do what Clemson did or something like right. that with their quarterbacks. It's it's not like that. No. This is Jake Fromm's job. So the SEC there's East. A re- oh, there's a reason on that real quick. I mean, to touch on that because people have been saying this nonstop. And we brought up how talented Justin Fields is. I've said it a bazillion times and how talented somebody like, Trevor Lawrence is. The difference is Jake Fromm is also extremely talented. He's oh, also yeah. one of the top quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school. Also good enough to be where they are like in their shoes a year ago and being a true freshman that was able to start and not only just start, but get somebody to a national championship game. It's a lot different than Kelly Bryant running running the spread option at Clemson. Right, and I think it was uh, I think it was uh, Matt Miller who um, does great work for Bleacher Report, uh, NFL yeah. draft scout on Twitter, who said Jake Fromm would be my number one quarterback right now if he right. was draft eligible. So that's that's the kind of player we're talking about. He is going to continue to lead Georgia to these big time wins. And right now, I mean, for me, it was already a clear clear cut, no argument really. The SEC East race is over. As far as yeah, I'm concerned, and you can cold take expose me on that all you want. You can clip this little this little snippet if somebody miraculously beats Georgia, but I don't see any team in the division who can beat Georgia. We're talking about a Georgia team that has won every single game in the division by double digits, has beat all but one team in the last two years, dating back to the beginning of 2017, 
by at least four scores. That's what we're talking about. It's yeah, that kind of domination. Is. It's already boring to say how good Georgia is going to be and how much Georgia is going to dominate this division, but it doesn't change the facts. And Georgia right. is just that much better than the rest of the SECs. It's it's funny too because you don't you don't notice it when people talk about it. Like I posted a few things yesterday. It was like two stats against Arkansas State. It was like six of ten for 175 yards, three TDs in the first quarter. And you post like how good Georgia looked last week against. I mean, I get they're playing Austin P. But then anytime you you post stuff like that or you like you like throw that out there, it's like, well, look who they're playing. But you notice that the other they don't they don't say the same things for like Jake Bentley went twenty two of twenty nine for two fifty against Coastal Carolina. It's like, yeah, look, look, he's improved. Right, right. You got to you got to take everything early in the season with with a grain of salt. Yeah. But one thing that I am buying more and more of is Stock and Kellen Mond because the performance that Jeez. he delivered against that Clemson defense was impressive. I've never right. seen. Uh, uh, really, a perspective game like that for fans who they lose. You know, A and M loses this this, this down to the wire game, and they have a chance to get this monumental first marquee win of the Jimbo Fisher era. And fans are clapping as they're going off the field. As the, you know, after they didn't co- convert that two point conversion at the very We're not end, gonna have the same heartwarming feeling from me that you had. <laughs> no, I, I thought that they, that it was incredibly impressive what AM yep. did. I, I thought that Clemson was going to beat him by two touchdowns easily, and I thought there were so many moments of that game where you're like, all right, Clemson's going to turn on the afterburners. It was nice while it lasted, but this is, this is going to run out. And then Kellen Mond just came back down the field right. and just march after march, just big-time throw after big-time throw. And he, I thought he grew up a lot on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, so this... This is kind of skewed for me. This is going to be a little bit cloudy and murky with my assessment because because of my own personal hurt, and that is because Uncle Chris lost some money on Clemson this past weekend. How much I did you parlay? It, I didn't parlay. I teased it, and I also parlayed them to win straight up, which seems like that that one. <laughs> but like teased teasing the the ten, I teased at twelve and a half a three team teaser with Mississippi State, with Penn State, and with Clemson. All Clemson had to do was win by two and a half points. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Connor. Wow. And luckily, it wasn't one of my Uncle Chris's picks that I posted on Twitter or anything like that. It still hurt the same. It just, it, I was not happy. And then also, I had a run-in on the on the internet interwebs in the morning because of the <laughs> mistake I made. I want to send. I want to give out my deepest condolences to all Texas A&M fans. Uh, I had no idea that with a uh, student body of 85% men that your mascot was in fact a female dog and when I innocently enough posted the goodest of boys haha which I thought was low-hanging fruit onto Twitter that it was the goodest of girls that your mascot the collie was a was a girl dog and then I, I found out afterwards after several people called for my job I mean that's pretty natural given what you did calling that by- <laughs> Definitely, definitely got to remember that's a girl dog. You're, you're never going to forget that ever again, though. Ever so. again. Every, everyone, like, every, everything we had, like, we were talking about the games on Saturday and any kind of, like, people were, like, breaking down, like, oh, my God, did you see that throw by Mond? And I was like, I hope, I hope Clemson pulls this out. <laughs> <laughs> Just because cause of what they did to me this morning. No, it was impressive. A&M, I mean, anytime you put up over 500 yards of offense, that's impressive in general. But doing it against a Clemson defense... Good God. We we talked about how we did not think that AM was going to be able to establish the run at all. And it was going to turn to Kellen Mond, and he was going to take them as far as they were going to go. And sure enough, what did Clemson do with that defensive line? They shut down Travion Williams. He was held to 32 yards rushing or whatever it was. Yeah. And it was Mond or bust. In so many of these key scenarios where you're facing third and long, and he's staring down pressure, 
430 passing yards, three touchdowns, and oh, by the way, no interceptions against a defensive line that actually looks like it played well. And that was the thing right. is that Clemson looks like it actually played up to its standard yeah. and A&M just rose to that level. That was the most impressive thing is that it wasn't like A&M was staying in the game because Clemson's throwing a dumb pick here. You have Kelly right. Bryant making a stupid mistake. I know he had the fumble and that was you know an, a very inopportune time to have that on the goal line in that spot. But at the same time, this was not Clemson repeatedly shooting itself in the foot. This was Clemson right. making plays and AM responding and making plays and staying and with one of the best teams in the country. Agreed. And, it, it, you know, a lot of times in big games like this, it always seems like there's like, well, if that one play doesn't happen where it's some freak catch or some freak, you know, run or like something like that. I mean, Clemson, that touchdown to T. Higgins. Oh, my gosh. That was very fortunate. They had that, that was made and then and then ran in for a touchdown. Like, that's a very fortunate play for Clemson. And I honestly believe this. I think A&M should have won the game. Uh, you, you could probably point to a few things on both sides. If I know they A&M, had a male dog, they would have won the game. <laughs> I know A&M fans were very frustrated with the weird fumble out of the that went out of the end zone. That, and that was a fumble. Been, no, no, no. Well, judging whether or not it went out of bounds, out of the end what did, zone. So what did you think out, about that? I thought that that was one of those where they were going to call it on the field, and it was the evidence was really tough to overturn either way, overturn. and it was... I think I thought that call was going to go whatever. However, they they called it on the field, and unfortunately yeah. for AM, that did not work out in their favor. See, I agree, but when I saw when they had the video from the pylon, and you're looking at like if the ball goes, if you're looking at like, from from the pylon, the ball goes to the left, which means it went to the right of it through the end zone. I thought I thought it was kind of obvious. I, but yeah, it still I mean, was very close. It was it was very close either way, and AM still came back down the field and scored again. Yeah, and they they were going to have to get the two point conversion too. So it's not like it's not like they didn't have their opportunities there at the end. Obviously, right. that maybe could have changed the dynamic if Clemson goes three and yeah. out after that and they get one more chance. But really, really impressive performance by the Aggies. A little bit closer to that level of one of the better teams in the division than we thought. Think about this. AM I had as the fifth best team in that division coming into this year. Yeah. That was the second best team in the country, and AM took them down to the wire. That right. says so much for the SEC West, that you're having a team like AM in what's supposed to be a foundation-type year. Jimbo Fisher, they even made the comment on the broadcast, he's not his usual fiery self where he's ripping into quarterbacks, he's ripping into a guy about a penalty or something right. like that. Like He was a little bit more subdued and kind of realizing that this was a learning experience and a game like this is going to be beneficial next right. year when they when they meet again, down the road when they're playing a big-time game. So I, I thought that the I, whole perspective of this game was just really interesting to follow. Now I will say this, and I'm I, this is this might be against my better judgment, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it anyway since I've been doing it all day. Do it, man. All right. So the the whole I had several people text me last night. It's like Jimbo and the SEC, man. Like, what's he capable of doing? Like, they they should be really good. Like, you know, I Duff, our boss is he's a big big proponent of it. He thinks he's gonna be great, and I, I think you also think down the road like he's gonna do really well. Tebow brought it up on on game day on Saturday. Like, he's gonna do really well. What he left in Tallahassee after seeing what happened there worries me about the future of A&M football. And I know that sounds a little bit weird, and they might be two like, mutually exclusive things, but that's Florida State starting a defensive lineman at offensive guard right now and barely beating Sanford, and he was there a year ago. No, this, that's an apples and oranges situation. I, 
I, to me, that's still, you're talking about two completely different dynamics in what's above Jimbo Fisher and why he left Florida State was because he wasn't getting the support that he felt like he needed to, to be able to upgrade facilities, to right. be able to do the things that he wanted to do. And at AM, he's got a blank check to do everything. And that is Scott true. Woodward has his back no matter what. And it's not this constant battle going back and forth. And that matters when it comes to recruiting. There are certain things that you could do within a program right. that you're allowed to do at AM that you're not necessarily allowed to do at Florida State just spending on this resource, on this resource, on this resource. Yeah. So I think it's different to look at that situation. We're going to get to Florida State later because, oh my gosh, Florida State. Jeez, what a um, disaster. But Jimbo, what he's going to be able to do at a and I think he, his ceiling is so much higher, and I think that's really why people like it, and they see some of the early beginnings of what he was able to do at yeah. Florida State, and they think that that's applicable at AM. So I, I'll buy that a little bit more down the road. I think it's still going to be a difficult road to get there. But I thought Saturday night was exactly what Aggie fans could have could have hoped huge, for. Huge. Huge. Big time perspective game. Big time perspective game for Mississippi State as well because one of us, me, the biggest <laughs> the biggest driver of the Bulldog bandwagon all off season predicted a Mississippi State loss and that did not happen whatsoever. What a genius move on your part. Oh, I mean just I'm so smart. You've been high on them the entire year. <laughs> And you've just talked about how great Mississippi State. Now I will say this: Joe Moorhead does have some swag. Oh, he's got he's swag. got some swag. I had no idea, dude. He's got. Did he's you see cool. that little alley oop thing that he did to Kyle what is Hill? That? that yeah. was oh man. He's got this little handshake that or he did does you with see his son. Ba- did you see Saban get in that backup third string kicker's face and spit <laughs> spit yell at him when he was mad? It's like the same thing. So I mean, yeah, it was it was he's he's a seems like a pretty cool dude. Joe Moorhead is the coolest dude in the SEC. I'm gonna hold on to that take That's as well. My my uh, my prediction that Mississippi State was going to struggle given Nick Fitzgerald and what he was going up against coming off that ankle injury, coming off the, the first game uh, off his suspension and, and all that stuff, first game in Moorhead system, he did not throw the ball well. He did not. And Joe Moorhead is not going to like when a quarterback completes 41% of his passes. That number has to improve significantly or else they will not beat the best teams in the SEC, as I have predicted them to do. Having said that, I thought after he shook the rust off in the first quarter, he responded well and looked a lot more comfortable running the ball and doing the By things going. that we've been accustomed to seeing Nick Fitzgerald do. He was four of thirteen in the first half. You thought he shook the rust off in the in the first quarter? No, I'm saying as a, as a rusher. I'm I'm not saying he oh, okay, was yeah. there I mean, as a passer. And he did look all. a little bit tentative just running the ball, just like on the cuts and stuff like that. At first, he did. That was yeah. It, I thought he I thought he did well and did what Nick Fitzgerald does, but I think. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the victory because it's a that was an impressive victory to go out to Kansas State. I thought they were going to cover, and I didn't think it was going to be close. But that was impressive what they did. Oh, they um, rolled. I mean, they I was, mean, it wasn't a, even close. Kansas State had zero, had no penalties, and lost by 21 points. That's so Bill Snyder right there. That yeah, Snyder ball. But I mean, you know, looking looking at his his game as a as a quarterback, I wonder if there's a ceiling. We talk about it with like Felipe Franks. I wonder if there's a ceiling because you didn't see any anybody at receiver going up and making plays for him and going up and getting like a 50-50 ball or coming down, you know, like they, they had a decent amount of drops and hopefully that's corrected. But it worries me that there is a ceiling for him and or Mississippi State and like with that offense if that doesn't get corrected. Because I know he's not going to throw for 41% every game, but he's never had a season where he's threw over 58%. Right, and that's the big thing that has to change with this. And that's what's going to determine how high this this offense can fly. And I right. thought to a, to a certain extent – 
Trace McSorley. I know we keep making the comparison, yep. but he struggled early on in his time under Moorhead in doing that and being able to trust his receivers downfield and just being able to say, I need to give my guy a chance. I thought there were so yeah. many key instances where Fitzgerald had it looked like a good ball out of his hands, but it's just an overthrow. And it's oh, like maybe yeah. he's he's a little bit too it's a little bit too amped up or he's just Gassed still working up, yeah. the accuracy. I, but I, I thought there were a few key moments that game where he, he struggled in that department, and that has to change because that's what's going to beat those better teams right. where you can stretch the field and be multiple like that. That but, defense, though. Yeah, that defense. Holy cow. Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat, they were dominant. Both of them had would, a couple tackles for loss. That was, oh, boy, they dominated. I'm the Browns. I trade up to one and two yep, get in them both. the draft and take them both. I mean, like, I those two just – from an off-the-bus mentality, those two look like they look like NFL NFL players already. Every time it's gotten to the point where every single time uh, Kansas State or anybody does this, where they decide not to block Montez Sweat on third down, I just laugh <laughs> and I'm like, Let him oh, come down. Let, he's, not, he's not important on this play. Let him come down. No, he's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll pick him up. Block. We'll be fine. Yeah. I, I tell you what, I did love most most about this game was the relentless effort from ESPN to um, get a camera right in the face of four to five white students and allow them to sing a, um, an alma mater song or a, uh, what's it called? A fight song that fight no song. one knew the yeah. words to. Oh, nobody. Good. How many times did we have to see that? That was that was tough to watch. There were so many good shots of depressed Kansas State fans, too. That was a good sad fans game because they were really had nothing to cheer about that whole game. Sing, it, it sing the fight song one more time, Trevor. We're down by 21 points. Do we have to? It'll be good. It'll be good. You're you're wearing your purple shirt. Come on. You're already dressed for it. The good news for Mississippi State as well, besides just the fact that your defense looked really, really good under Bob Shoup, was the fact that Kylan Hill was dominant. He had three touchdowns. He had 227 total yards from scrimmage, 18 touches. This was a guy who we expected good things from because we heard a lot of good things about him out of camp. I thought Eris Williams was going to be the guy. I did too. And it, it is not that anymore at all. Kylan Hill is is a dude. I was panicked looking through my notes and I was like, did I mix up Eris Williams with another team? Like, what is happening right now? Like, nope. This kid is, and what makes him different is he's got speed. And and he he's got big play capability, obviously, as we saw this past weekend. I mean, he he ever he had more yards rushing. I tweeted this out. He had more yards rushing at one point in the third quarter than Kansas State's entire offense had. And then the next play, they fumbled or something like that, and 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 Kansas State scored. And then sure enough, right after that, he picked up right where he left off. He averaged almost 13 yards a carry. He was and incredible. He, just, he doesn't go down with the first tackle, and sometimes after the first two, like he's. He, he is really good. His yards after contact as a running back are really impressive. So if you know Joe Moorhead, you know that he loves three down backs, and he will use Kylan Hill in any way possible. He's going to get him touches out of the backfield, whether it's in the, you know, running the, the read option with him or right. you know, the, the RPOs with him. He's going to be able to get him going in the passing game as well. There's a little thing about, about what Penn State did the last couple of years that I think goes overlooked. Everybody talks about Saquon Barkley and how big of a star he was. People forget that Penn State had the number one running back recruit in the country, Miles Sanders, coming out. And Miles Sanders was basically relegated to kickoff duties for his first two years at Penn State. And that wasn't just because Saquon Barkley was Saquon Barkley. It's because that is how Joe Moorhead treats his backs. He likes being able to be versatile. And he doesn't like defenses knowing whether, oh, it's a passing situation, so we bring bring in our passing back. He likes a running back that can do everything. And that's what Kylan Hill looks like. If I, uh, watching that game, I said to myself, 
oh my God, he's going to get 300. He's going to get 300 touches this year. He right. is that kind of a player, and Moorhead is going to love what he's able to do. That's not to say Eric Williams is a bad player or anything like that. No, but, but he's probably not going to play anymore because they're going to put Montez Sweat back there too. <laughs> Seriously, that from, guy. From what do, I've heard from my sources, that guy can do anything. That interception from uh, from Errol Thompson was insane, unreal. I, I don't know how just he came so up with that. casual, just so casual. Just going to the ground. It was ground. pretty cool. They uh, he he went to go put on their version of the turnover chain, which was they called it a dog collar, but it was definitely <laughs> just an old used workout belt that somebody had like at a Gold's gym in, in like Hattiesburg. Speaking of that, Miami's got a new turnover chain. Did you see that? Oh God. They added two pounds to it. This is a smart <laughs> PR move uh, from Miami. Um, it's it's totally different now. It's the it's the mascot. I, I'm blank on what the name of the mascot is, but oh, it now is two pounds Ibis. heavier. Ibis. Yeah. Oh, yeah, duh. That's what everybody knows that, of course, because <laughs> I pay attention to Miami mascot a lot. Um, but yeah, two pounds heavier, and they do that after a four game losing streak. So good for you, you Mark. You got to do something. Proud of you. Yeah, proud of you, cool Uncle Mark. And then they won like 72 to nothing. So good for Miami. I played Savannah State. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's move on to some other headlines around the league. We, we teased it earlier, but this, this Jalen Hurts situation, reports came out before Alabama's game against Arkansas State that apparently Jalen Hurts and the coaching staff had agreed to a redshirt deal. I don't know who that report was was um, was credited to. I thought it was maybe Aaron Suttles, but I didn't see him tweet it out or anything like that. I didn't so I wasn't see him tweet sure. it out either. Um, I- I don't want to put his name on that or anything. I just saw no. that that surfacing. But I thought that that was I, – I saw that, that headline in a few places, and I was like, nope, that's not true. Right. And sure enough, Jalen Hurts played in the first half of that game, and now Jalen Hurts is left with two games if he wants to get that redshirt rule. So that tells me there's no way this is happening. There's no, no way not. that Nick Saban is caring about the redshirt rule or anything like that because Jalen Hurts is going to have to play in some of these games. It's not just going to be Mac Jones. Well, let's and let's also let's do him a service on this. And, and I've said this from the beginning, and, and I, I guess I've probably wavered back and forth on it, but I mean. Maybe, maybe all along, Saban has actually had a plan. You're talking about one of the most like detail-oriented coaches ever. Maybe he actually thinks that he can have a productive offense with both of them in there. I don't know if that's necessarily true. the The efficiency that's happening with Tua is stupid. Oh my it's, gosh, it's crazy. Like, and I like I get that it's early and they haven't played anybody, but that man, there's just there's never. And I'm not just saying this because the second twenty six. There's just not really ever a down and distance where it's like if you got over third and seven or third and eight with Jalen, you're like Jesus, really better be open. <laughs> like that's that's it. Like that's that or hopefully the you know he'll scramble for it. But like, I you don't I don't feel any worry or pressure with no matter what what the the down and distance is with Tua. Like third and thirteen. Like he's he's converted I think already in the season five five times. Like where like it was like third and and eight or more, third and ten or more. His I, efficiency but played numbers. well. Yeah, he played well. That was the Seven thing. Is that he's helping him out. He's helping himself out. And that's that's going to be the, the fun thing to watch is, is Jalen actually improving as a passer? He looked much better as a passer against Arkansas State because it's Arkansas State. But he did make some, some better throws than he did compared to what he did in week one against Louisville. Right. But here's the thing. I don't think he. I don't think he's down for this. I'm saying I'm sticking with what I've been saying all along. That he leaves. I, th- I think he leaves in the middle of the. Se- I think he leaves the team and graduates from Alabama in December. Holds on to his two years of eligibility and he goes should. wherever he wants and says, "This is how I'm going to finish my career. I'm going to do this on my terms. I'm going to go somewhere where I feel wanted, and I'm not having to sit there on the bench while this superstar just, you know, takes and runs with everything that I built." So I, right. I get it if he wants to do that. And I know Alabama fans aren't happy with it, but I thought that this was. 
I thought I think we're nearing a point in this. I think there there is yeah. a realistic possibility where where this happens. It might not be something where he he comes in next week and all of a sudden we're talking about this you know yeah. this magic number of one where he has one game left. Because next week is going to be fun for us to watch in person, seeing Tua against this Ole Miss defense, and oh, if God. he can play a full, if they're going to keep him in a full sixty minutes, oh boy, oh yeah. my gosh. I mean, it's it, it really is. It it sucks for somebody like Jalen, who's like such a good kid, and everything he's done for that. Oh, university. absolutely. He's done so much for him. And he's you know, he 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 brought a different dynamic at quarterback that Bama's ever had when he was under Kiffin in two thousand sixteen. It was it was so great to watch. And, you know, but, like, then you look at the Tua stuff and you're like, I said, I said it to my fiancé on Saturday. I was like, you know, I was like, you know, maybe maybe he can come in and they can both play and blah, blah, blah. And then you see Tua come back in and goes right down the field. And you're having guys like, you know, we, we joke around about um, Dilfer saying, like, how they can win every game 53. And then you hear Herb Street say something like it. And then you hear Andre Ware, who's a former Heisman Trophy winner, and they said, compare him to somebody with this skill set. And he said, I don't think I've ever seen anybody with this kind of skill set. And you're like... What is going then? And if that's the case, you're talking about two very short years. And I'm not trying to discount anything with Jalen because I think he should leave and do the best, what's best for his career overall. Of course. But also, as a as a Bama fan or somebody that's like hoping this team wins a championship, you you have two more years of Tua. Isn't that that clock is ticking. That's crazy. And so you've already. I'm not saying you wasted one because you won a national championship with him, but like. You're only going to get so much production out of him in that's in the window of time that he's going to be in Tuscaloosa, and that is he's not staying for four years, like he's, that's not happening. No, Tua is Tua is reaching the point now where he, I mean, he is so must see TV where no matter who he plays, and I've never seen someone whose whose star power at quarterback has taken off like this. Here's here's someone who comes into the situation where he's obviously not the guy, and the numbers that Alabama has put up. In, in these first two games. You realize that this is the first time Alabama scored 50-plus points in consecutive games to start the season since 1925? Well, we won the national championship that year, so, I mean, that makes sense. God, no, I mean, who are we playing? Like, the team from Ace Hardware basically. in 1925? Like, that's, yeah, I don't... The church team? I don't know. The, yeah. <laughs> so Michigan. we had a game against the Methodists from over in uh, Hopeville, uh, Alabama. But, yeah, I mean, like... That's that's crazy, and, and the offense is is so like just from a gambling standpoint. We talked about this last week about how Saban has come out and covered the spread in ten of eleven openers, and then the week after I kept, I was like, he never covered. He's like one one of four in the last five five games against them, and it was a thirty eight and a half point spread. And you're looking at it, and like there's still time left in the second quarter, and they're up thirty three to nothing. Yep. And you're like, oh my god. And you, the defense isn't isn't given. Well, defense gave up a lot of yards, but. Eh, Regardless, still. yeah, it's it's. We it's got crazy. to it. You can give up yards as long as I would love to. I would love to see what it looks like all put together. I cannot wait to see Tua against this Ole Miss defense. After Ole Miss, I talked. I talked him up last week, saying, "You know what? I was wrong about them. I was overlooking their defense too much." Then they go and give up forty-one to Southern Illinois. Yikes! Shout out Brandon oh. Jacobs, who is the only Southern Illinois football player that I can think of off the top of my head. But. Really got, bad performance for Ole Miss going into that Bama game. And you've got to just be thinking to yourself, if you're on that Ole Miss defense, it, it gets a little bit tougher this week. <laughs> just a yeah. little bit tougher. Uh, I mean, in that defense, yeah. to be fair, Bama's defense gave up 391 total yards yesterday, um, which I don't know. I don't remember that happening, but um, I don't, <laughs> that's not 
Because I was switching back and forth between games, by the way. That's, let me clarify that. Have you um, learned how, how difficult it is to, to be a buy-flipping person? I watched more of the Georgia-South Carolina game than I watched of Alabama yesterday, and I don't know what's wrong with me. I actually really enjoyed it, though. But, I mean, no, like going into this week, Bama did give up a lot of yards, and they, they are going to face the best receiving corps in the country. But, I mean, yeah, the over-under this game might be 1,000. It's going to be – there are going to be a lot of points scored in this one. I'm, I'm hoping it ends up being one of those – 55 to, to 45 games, something like oh, that. Where that makes you just one see... of us. <laughs> we've as, we've as met someone... in person very seldom, and I don't think that the, the third or fourth time should be you having to witness me watch a, a nail-biting Bama game. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so while it was a, a big-time week for the SEC West, the SEC West is far and away the best division in college football right now. But here's the thing. Arkansas, Colorado State have a chance to beat a, a team that has not looked very good to start the season. All you got to do is hold on to a to a twenty-seven to nine lead or whatever it was, and then Colorado State scores twenty-five unanswered and wins. Also covered the spread on that one. That was great. Thanks a lot. Yikes! That was not a good game for uh, the Chad Morris era. The no. start of it, where we thought maybe, maybe from what we saw in Ty Story in Week One, that there was going to be a chance for Arkansas to at least be kind of fun offensively and to do some yeah. things that y- you at least see from teams that win five, six games. And that was a, a, a back to earth moment and a good little reminder of why you don't want to get too overzealous with some of these FCS. Yeah, maybe, teams. maybe Chad Morris is doing too much with. They had a, I saw this on like a stat when they had the broadcast. They had a 8 a.m. walkthrough, I believe, or a 10 a.m. walkthrough, and they flew to, to Fort Collins in Colorado. Then from there, he left and flew to Texas to see his son's high school football game, got on another plane, went back to, to Colorado. And, like, that's great. That's awesome, like, you know, to go to your son's football game. But, like, let's win these games first. Over under 26 Red Bulls he had in that stretch. I'm for real. <laughs> just, just put it in my veins. Yeah, he was definitely chugging the bull, definitely, no doubt. Um, but, yeah, Arkansas is going to have a tough time, I think, in that division with how good the rest of the division has looked to start the season. Woof. That is going to yeah. be, be tough sledding for the Razorbacks. There were other headlines outside of the SEC this weekend. We've got to start here because this was my favorite thing that I saw. A Liberty punter was ejected <laughs> for targeting... That's that's the best sentence we've said. I know we talked earlier about the Florida Kentucky sentence that we that we said. Right. A Liberty punter was ejected for targeting. Uh, yeah, that that's a thing. Um, and and it was legit targeting. He, he oh, went it out was. of his way. <laughs> it so was. Liberty was in the news last year. This is one of my favorite things ever. Um, we used to bring it up a lot last year. They had a quarterback named Buckshot Calvert. What? Oh yeah, that's real. His real name is Steven, but Buckshot is 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 his. Is the name he went by? Because Liberty's a team that went on the road and beat Baylor. That's um, right. That's right. So that's how I knew about him. But his name was Buckshot Calvert, and I was like, man, what a legend! <laughs> and it sounds like this punter, who I can only imagine his name was like Deer Blind Story. I don't know. He 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 sounds like he was trying to make his own way, man. And he just, he's flat out lowered it. He he did this thing with his head, like where like sometimes like a dog will do to you on your lap, like just like trying to nuzzle. His the crown of his head or nose under your arm. That's what he did <laughs> into this guy's sternum with with the crown of his helmet. I thought it was one of those where you, you see divers sometimes where they have their hands back and they, they're just their hands are making no attempt whatsoever. <laughs> and it's just let, let's just let my head hit the water first. We're gonna do yeah. that. Oh my goodness! That I just that, jumped that, out of a plane. 
<laughs> that kid walked around campus like a god. I wonder how much street cred and how many followers he gained. Darren Ravel, get on that for us. I know you're listening. Get How many followers oh did that kid gain from his, his targeting penalty? Um, if Darren Ravel tweets out that Nike commercial one more time. I'm telling you, he's not worth a follow on Twitter. If it's something really meaningful, somebody will retweet him. But he is, he is, no, he is too much. Hot take. Let's, let's go to a familiar face with SEC fans. We talked earlier about Texas A&M bouncing back and being on the rise with Jimbo Fisher. Arizona not on the rise with Kevin Sumlin. Yikes. Own <laughs> to start. And it was on this very podcast where a certain Uncle Chris said that Arizona was going to make the was going to make Vegas look dumb this year. They might because dude, they're the just over not going to cover. Over is only seven games, dude. Yep. Only seven games. They get Khalil Tate, ten to one odds of win the Heisman. My God, those they odds are, are bad. Way, way, way down now. Well, because they're not real. So yeah, I mean, yeah. he that is he's tough. And I mean, to be fair, Khalil Tate came on the scene and had three straight games as a backup quarterback where he rushed over two hundred yards. And I thought that yeah, they would be able to do something with that uh, with. With uh, Kevin Sumlin, they are bad. I mean, they are bad, real yeah. bad. Yeah, losing to, to Houston like that, not the best look. Everybody knows about Ed Oliver, but that is still a, a, a tough loss for Kevin Sumlin, former Houston coach, to, to take like that when you've got a Heisman Trophy can, candidate at quarterback. Khalil Tate under Kevin Sumlin, I hate to say this because this might be too soon, but there might be some Jeremy Johnson flashbacks here with, with Auburn coming oh, into yeah. that 2015 season where it was like in the first two weeks you realized he wasn't a Heisman candidate and all that talk. And that's not to say that Tate is 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 a bust or something like that, but just doesn't look like a fit right. in Kevin Sumlin's system. So, yeah, Kevin Sumlin not exactly showing A&M that he should have been the guy for another 10 years. We've already talked about Miami's turnover chain. Let's talk about another team that got a whole lot of preseason love from you, actually. Uh, Texas announcers, after the Longhorns, came away with their first victory of the year. Good for you, Tom Herman. Back Good at for it. You. One and one. Beat Tulsa by seven points. By a win is a win seven. is a win. Yeah. Uh. So, Corbett Smith tweeted this out. Um, and apparently, the announcers of the Texas, uh, the Texas announcers had a hot mic on afterwards. And they were doing the, the fight song afterwards. And they didn't know that they were still mic'd up. And one of the announcers said to, to the other... Uh, we can agree, though, that this sucked. This sucked, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh, my, that might we might have to trademark that quote and just use it for for everything. We can agree, though, that this sucked, right? <laughs> there's been some pretty awesome hot mic <laughs> moments uh, from the weekend, but that is incredible. Um, yeah, yeah, and it has. It was terrible. It was terrible. I didn't thank God I didn't watch it. I ugh. the late games are disappointing. Oh, Pac-12 After Dark was, I don't know what you're talking about. I watched that Michigan State-Arizona State game to the wire, and that was I, all sorts of entertaining. I was I was 9-3 and three with Uncle Chris Picks on the weekend. Dude, and I you was, were on fire. I was 8-3 and three on the day, and the only things I had lost, I lost ugh, Northwestern straight up, which you told me to do. You told me not to do. I did um, tell you not to do. I lost on two teasers, and it was because of Arkansas and because of Clemson. So I was like, that's not bad. I'm fine with that. Like, that's not a bad look here. Like, just just the teasers? Like, who cares? And I think it was the teasers. I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, I missed I missed the – well, I don't, anyway. But then at the very last pick, I was like, hammer Michigan State. Just hammer the money line on Michigan State. There's no way this team that, that was a top 15 preseason team with this kind of coaching is going to go on the road and lose to, to Arizona State. And I went to bed around 1230, I think, or 1, I don't know. And I woke up this morning fully expecting to be 10-3 and 3 on the weekend. Nope. 
and Herm Edwards. Herm. And they scored 13 points Love in it. the fourth quarter to beat Good Michigan State. And you know what's more amazing than any of that is the fact that that not just coaches, but the media, I'm about to get pissed, kept Michigan State in the top 25. I didn't agree with that. I thought AM should have been a top 25 team. I thought AM should have moved into the top 25 after what it did against Clemson. I who thought did, that was. Who did, who did Michigan State play week one? Played Utah State and won by a touchdown you, at home. And won by a touchdown. I had to come back in the fourth quarter to beat them, right? Yep. And then oh, you yeah. lose to an unranked Arizona State team. And in the coaches' poll, they're ranked ahead of, of Arizona State. Speak, speaking of Michigan State, uh, Chris Solari, uh, Michigan State beat reporter for Troy Free Press. I think I met him on a couple occasions. I'm not sure. I think he follows. Uh, I think he, maybe he follows. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he voted for Florida State to make the AP Top 25. Good for you. Good for you for clearly not paying attention because you were covering game very late into the night and just saying, yeah, ah, whatever. I'm just going to do the same they ballot. They won by 12. Who cares? <laughs> Florida wow. State, meanwhile, uh, barely getting by Samford. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, that's Allie said, what's a Samford? I, like, well, just, I need you to word your questions better, but I mean, yeah, either way, you're kind of right. Samford is Southern for SEC Cupcake. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly. But apparently right. FSU did not get the memo. Let us continue to talk about some gambling. We've got some, do we have some early week three we lines? Okay, we let's do. So from our friends over here at mybookie.com, uh, we give a shout every week. They are the best in the biz. Because uh, remember, guys, it's not who you're betting on, it's who you're betting with. So, you know, you know what makes me feel better when I lose to those stupid teasers with Clemson by a half a point? To know that I can get right back on that saddle with, with uh, MyBookie.com. They give you reload bonuses now as well. Love it. Not only matching your initial deposit up to 100% by using the promo code SDS, they are, they're so nice that if you lose a little bit, not saying Uncle Chris has... But you can even reload up to 70% and get 70% of your initial deposit back. Um, but make sure you're heading over to mybookie.com using the promo code SDS. They will match your initial deposit up to 100%. And that way, you can afford to pay for Dr. Pepper and all the other stuff that I put into my body on Saturdays like me. Thumbs up. Dr. Pepper. Over. A little overrated. Just saying. <laughs> you're, okay. We're we've, we've, sure, we've debated this take before. We don't need yeah. to go into it. Okay. Definitely. We're not going to. All right. So uh, week three lines, because you're wrong. Anyway, uh, week three lines going into next week. So we got a decent slate. There's 12 games, SEC football games next week. The first one with a line on it is UTEP, the Miners. That sounds weird when you say it in that voice. Yes, it is. Uh, head to Knoxville. They are a 28.5 point underdog against Tennessee, who just won 59 to 3 against East Tennessee State. So, uh, also have Vandy going to South Bend in the uh, game that, was it Derek? Uh, Derek Mason said he Derek wasn't Mason scared. <laughs> said he was not scared because they played in the SEC. They are only a 14-point underdog right now to Notre Dame, which is kind of surprising. Even well, Notre Dame, Dame so. Ball State. Notre Dame, yeah, so my brother covers Ball State, actually. And oh, that's he was right. at the He was at the game yesterday. And my brother actually just turned 30 yesterday. Shout out to my brother. Um, and he was there yeah. and said, couldn't, couldn't believe it. Yeah. That's just, crazy. Made no sense. Make sure you moisturize because it's all downhill after 30. There you go. That's my advice. Good um, 3.30 LSU is at Auburn. Auburn is a 10.5 point favorite. That, I love where this line is at. That's interesting. Uh, I, that's I didn't think it would be that high. I, I thought it would be a, more like a like a seven, six, seven point. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's one to monitor. That's about where I thought it would be. I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't more, to be honest. Um, that's, that is juicy, as they say. Uh, also have Florida is hosting the former Fighting McIlwain's Colorado State Rams. Uh, it's minus 19 and a half. Then we have, this one sucks. This is embarrassing. 
Arkansas is hosting North Texas, and they're only a touchdown favorite. Oh, my God. We can agree this sucks, right? <laughs> uh, Seth, Seth Luttrell, coach on the rise. I'm I'm all in on the on, on Seth Luttrell, North Texas coach. I think he's going to be fun fun one to watch in the Power Five when he gets there after this year. I got too many things on my plate to even acknowledge that, but sure. Right. Um, so uh, the last two, these are the ones I'm mostly excited about. Uh, the game we will be at in Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah. Down in the Grove, down in Oxford. That's not that's I got to work on that accent. Old Southern. There's been a murder. Uh, Bama's a 22-point favorite uh, at, or at Ole Miss. And then last, this is the most interesting one for me, Mizzou, only a six-point favorite at Purdue. I think this gets bought up to around nine, but Mizzou only less than a touchdown at Purdue. Purdue waxed them last year, 40-17. to 17. But Right, but Purdue, Purdue is also to Eastern Michigan. Michigan. lost yeah. to Eastern Michigan. So, yeah, yeah. no that idea what to expect thing. out of Purdue. So, there you yeah. go. Uh, now we're going to move on to fourth and wrong. Yeah, we got it. We got a little fourth and wrong. Um, we usually do, um, family feud on Sunday, Mondays, whatever we're doing now. But uncle Chris had so many good fourth and wrongs that he was like, you know what? Let's just, let's just go right back to it. Let's run it back. Let's get some uncle more. Chris forgot and we had to record the pod today, y'all. Okay. Not really. I was trying. I was trying to cover <laughs> for you, you be a nice guy. But I want to be right. honest with. I want to be honest with our with our listeners. We always um, want to peel behind the onion. We always want that. That's right. So, I'm trying. Okay, I can't. I don't know why, but I can't get to the questions on Instagram, which means we are gonna move to the questions on Twitter. We got three questions. We're gonna do fourth and wrong. A little special Sunday edition. Uh, the first, <laughs> the first question. This is one of my favorites. Um, I'm actually, you know what, let's save this one for last because you're going to really like this one, I okay. believe. Uh, your first question is, will Kevin Hart or Dwayne Johnson play in more movies before they die? That was sent in by Crimson Malone on Twitter. I'm going to say, I'm going to say The Rock just because I feel like he is in at least six movies where he's falling out of a building per year. Yes. And Kevin Hart is more of like, a, yeah, he's in a lot of movies, but I think he's also just in a lot of stuff. Like, he's in a lot of commercials. Right. He does a lot of the talk show stuff. And The Rock is just, no, I'm in these big action movies with massive budgets, and I need to be falling out of a building. He falls yeah, out of a building in every movie, right? Yeah. And Dane Cook was also in movies at one point, and so look what happened there. I think Kevin's Hart more talented than him, but yeah, comedians don't have the same kind of staying power. You would Trust not. me, man. <laughs> just <laughs> trust me. Um, okay, let's see here. We have the next question is from, uh oh, where'd it go? You should have been, you should have been doing this. Um, okay, could you please rank the following barbecue genres? Texas, Memphis, Carolina, and Kansas City. But he said a bad word instead of city. Oh, I know. Oh. That's it. His name is Blame Me, and, and we are, we are blaming you. I'm a, I'm a big Carolina barbecue guy. I'll put, I put Carolina number one. Um, like little mustard sauce? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I, the week I spent in Charlotte, uh, <laughs> I ate so much pulled pork. It was, I, I think it took a few years, at least off my life. Uh, I could eat that stuff all day. Two through four, um, I, I could really go interchangeable, but Jack's I, I feel high. like that's, that's the strongest take I have is the South Carolina's number one. I ordered $65 worth of uh, barbecue meats to be Uber, Uber Eats delivered to my house on, on Saturday. That's impressive, dude. It didn't feel that way this morning. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I will take, I'm going to take Memphis, Kansas City, Carolina, then Texas. I do love some mustard barbecue there every once in a while. Put on some hash. You ever had hash? 
Ooh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Then my favorite question, and this is going to be a little story time here with Uncle Chris at the end. This is this is the best one of the week. This is one bearded golfer. Uh, one of our favorite listeners. He said there was a pretty sweet bro fight at the Grove caught on video yesterday. What is the most uncomfortable you've ever been at a tailgate? Oh, so very first tailgate that I think I was ever at as a college freshman turned into um, massive piles of, well, it, it was crowds and crowds of people at this tailgate where people decided to start throwing bottles into the air. And it was like, let's see what we can hit. And it was an absolute free for all. I think it was for, it was for an Indiana Ball State game. Um, oh, that's, that sounds, that makes sense. Yeah, because what else are you gonna do? Um, yeah. It was the most raucous tailgate I have ever seen, just in terms of fearing for your life. I never thought I would feel that way going to a tailgate of worrying about if I'm going to get for my Ball head State, cracked open yeah. with a glass bottle. Uh, no, it was actually in Bloomington. Bloomington, oh. IU t- Indiana tailgating. Let me tell you, they've never won a football game, but my goodness, they don't lose parties. They they do not lose tailgate parties. They know how to tailgate there and pretend it's basketball season. I love that you said you've never felt like you're getting your head bashed in. There's so many times throughout my life that I've just walked away from situations, usually in bars, that I'm like, man, how did I not get punched in the face? Shreveport. We're not going to get into that one. This, <laughs> so this is a Shreveport-esque story, and it's, it's going to take about a couple of minutes, but it's really good, I promise. Give so, us the condensed version of it, would you? I'll give you the condensed version of it. But this is this is the most uncomfortable <laughs> things that were happening at a tailgate. 2010, Bama, Bama, Florida. Me and my best friend, uh, Jeff Colby, go over to Tuscaloosa. He'd never seen a Bama game before. We go over with my friend. She's a Bama Belle. It's, not an, it's an 8 o'clock kick. So Sick brag, by go, the way. Yeah, she has to do stuff. She used to do stuff during the day. That's the only reason I brought it up because we didn't have anyone to hang out with. We're, we're both out of college. So we're like 26, which if you're hanging around college kids, you might as well be 40. And so we're trying to figure out, like, walk around. I'm like, oh, dude, we'll just go to the quad. We'll go find, we'll just go, like, you know, nestle up to someone's tailgate. They'll let us in. It's, it's Southern hospitality, blah, blah, blah. He's from St. Louis, had never been to an experience like this. We weren't really welcome to a lot of tailgates. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and it's about an hour and a half, two hours before kickoff. And we've been drinking for most of the day because it's an eight o'clock kick. We go to, we somehow get into this tailgate, and it's like this, it's like the nicest groups, like these five black guys, they're all former D1 basketball players, super, super hospitable, great. And at some point across the way, there's a dance off going on. And oh this guy, this guy, this two white people, and one of them's wearing a Jabberwockies mask, and Ludacris, how low can you go is playing. Okay? So I'm like just mystery science theatering this entire situation, making fun of the guy. Everyone's cracking up, we're all having a good time. And in our tailgate to our right, it's just an older, normal crowd, probably alumni, whatever. And there's a lady that I thought was in her mid-40s. Um, oh, no. Found out that was off by about 20 years. Oh, She's in my. one of these fold-up chairs and is trying to reach over into her cooler to grab a beer. And as she does, she just slowly teeters. And the thing just collapses on her because it's one of those fold-up chairs. And she falls over. Everyone around was concerned. Everyone. Except me, because I'd had like 32 Bud Lights, I jumped over into the tailgate and I started going, how low can you go? How oh low can you go? Everyone, everyone in our tailgate was dying laughing. We're all high-fiving, it was a great moment for me. We're like tears, <laughs> we're just tears. And then you look around and every single person within that saw what happened was like shaking their head, no. completely silent, like we were like, no. So yeah, we had to leave the tailgate, and then we um, drunkenly led the million-dollar band into the stadium. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. She's listening right now. She's, I'm so sorry, Karen. It. That was that was not. I did not realize that you were of that age. 
and I hope your hip is better. My gosh. Let's let's end with it might mean too much. I saw this, you saw this, it was all over the internet. There was an AM fan with back hair that had the number 12 shaved in, and at the top it read Fisher. If at any point in your life you're saying to yourself, I need to show my support for this team by shaving body hair, you probably went wrong somewhere. Don't, don't do it. Just, just, just don't. There, there are other things that you can do. You want to paint your face. Right. You want to paint your whole body. By all means, go ahead. If you are shaving body hair, probably a little bit too far. Yeah, we've gone wrong. It was, it was gross. If you haven't seen the image yet, go head over to the SDS Twitter account. Th- that shouldn't happen. That's just... No. We, that's all I have to say about it. Just, <laughs> that's, let, that's all I have to say about that. Let's, let's pretend that that's not going to happen in the world anymore. We are putting an end to that today. We did have a couple five-star reviews to get to. First one from MillerTime615. This read... <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why I read that so deliberately. This read, as a fan of an SEC team, you can't beat the guys at SDS. We read this on Thursday. We read this on Thursday? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, we did. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, I'll take it over from here, (laughs) y'all. We only have one five-star review. You may as well read it because apparently I don't know what we're doing anymore. It's from Mandy124, and it says, The Ultimate SEC Podcast, five stars. There is nothing like Saturdays in the SEC, and these two SEC nuts slash nerds make yep. football season even better. My boys and I love our rides to school, listening and quote unquote prepping for Saturdays. Go dogs! That's I'm calling you the nerd, right dude. I'm the nut. You're the nerd. That might as well be the new name of the show. I'm okay with that. You know what? Nuts and nerds. I don't think we get a lot of listeners. If no, I, yeah. <laughs> I think we'd have to change our parental yeah. advisory thing. No, one, our, no one's Google searching that with any kind of good intention. Oh, you heard the latest nuts and nerds podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take us out, Connor. Yeah, watch all the Facebook Lives that Uncle Chris is doing. Those are Monday nights and Saturday morning whenever Chris is able to crawl out of bed, usually around 9.30, right? 9.30 both times. I nailed it. All right, 9.30. I woke up before 8 o'clock every Saturday so far this season. Sick brag. Wake up at 7. Get on my level. Um, (laughs) Follow us on Instagram, at Saturday Down South. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media accounts, at the SDS Pod, at CMarlerSDS, at CJOGuerra. Next time that we talk, that we're talking to you, I think I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. I actually, I feel very good about this. But now, if I say this, he actually has to come on. I think we're gonna have Matt Stinch come on, an yeah. old friend of yours. So, Georgia fans uh, and fans of the SEC, look out for that. That is going to be coming Thursday nights, and then we're gonna be in Oxford this weekend. If yeah. you are in Oxford, hit us up on Twitter, on Instagram, yes. whatever. We'd love to see your tailgate. Love to see any of that, that kind of stuff. Um, we're, I'm so excited, man. I'm so I'm, excited. I'm pumped. And I'm yeah. a big PBR guy, just in case, you know, anybody wants to, you know. I don't care what's in any of that. Just put something <laughs> in a red solo cup and put it in my hand as soon as I wake up on Saturday. Probably not as soon as I wake up, but you know what I'm saying, guys. All, All right, right. Connor, take us out. Remember the one most important thing, unlike the Texas A&M fan shaving the, the body hair, the 12th man thing. Yeah. What, what do we have to remember, Chris? Hey, y'all, it, it always, it definitely, definitely, definitely mean too much. I can't wait to see Coach O on Saturday. (laughs) Thanks, guys. See you uh, Thursday. Yeah.